0: Good evening. I am so glad to see you tonight and to welcome you to Woodland and to be a part of our um, Facebook uh, family and community and church online and YouTube, wherever you're watching at this evening. Somebody brought me a cup of coffee tonight, and I was just looking at the um, type that's on here. I'm about right here with the coffee right now, and it says no, and then it goes not yet, then it goes closer, then it goes almost there, then it goes ready when you're done with it. I'm ready, but I'm way up here at no right now. But I appreciate this cup of coffee, and I hope you're ready to study God's Word tonight. We're in the book of Mark, and as we've talked about before, the book of Mark, one of the things that it's, it's important to remember is that Peter is telling Mark all of these stories about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and so we're hearing through Mark all the reflections and the recounting that are left recorded for us as the word of God. And suddenly, if you remember, we've, we've talked about how he was rejected at Nazareth in chapter six. We've talked about how he sent his disciples out. He was amazed at the lack of faith of his hometown. And we said we wanted God to be amazed at our faith. Then he sent his disciples out. We've talked about ministry like that. But then it's like Peter has this recollection and it's, it's inserted into the story about the death of John the Baptist. And if you remember, Jesus has said about John the Baptist that there was no one greater born among men at that time than John the Baptist was. And so it it may feel like it's an interjection, but it's not because... As Peter's recounting the story, somewhere about this time was where John the Baptist was executed by Herod, Herod Antipas, that was Herod's son, Herod the Great, that had tried to murder the baby Jesus, but this is one of his sons, and his kingdom had been divided up into four principalities. That's the reason that you have this this whole convoluted story that you're going to read about here tonight. So as I read it, I'm going to make a few comments Because the story is about so much more than what the scriptures are pointing out here uh, in in the storyline. It's about what doubt does to us. You're looking at doubt and what you and I should do with our doubt. And today I was talking with someone about this story and they go, oh yeah, and they start recounting all the things about it. And I go, yeah, that's what happened but what you're looking at is a study of doubt and a study of faith. And that's what I really want to bring out of this tonight is so that we do more than just narrate what happened. We want to look at the reason this is put there, because if you remember, Jesus left Nazareth because people doubt it. He was amazed at their unbelief. He sent his disciples out now, and he's told them for this particular journey, and we talked about the difference then and now because of how Jesus taught the disciples, what he will teach them later. He says, take nothing with you. They've got, to have, they've got to go in complete and total faith. And then he starts this story tonight, and I'll make some comments as I read it. Herod Antipas, the king, or he's really a tetriarch, the king soon heard about Jesus because everybody was talking about him. Some were saying about Jesus, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet Elijah. Still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. Okay, so you get all these differing opinions about Jesus, and Herod gets wind of this. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. Okay, that's pretty superstitious, isn't it? John, the man I had beheaded, he's frightened. I mean, he really believes that this has happened. John, whom I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John, as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. And John had been telling Herod, it is against law, God's law, for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, look at me for just a second. Here's what comment I want to make. Number one, Herodias was his niece, was also Philip's niece, her first husband. So they're guilty of the sin of this incest, according to the book of Leviticus. Secondly, somehow or another, Herod must have felt like he was kind of above the law because he seduces his His brother-in-law's wife, which is his niece, puts away his wife. She divorces her husband, and he marries her. Now, when you're a tetriarch or a king or an ambassador, one of the last things you want to do is inflame the moral sensibilities of the culture that you're called to. So for instance, a lot of our missionaries who work in countries where it's the custom for the wife to walk behind the husband, our missionary wives, rather than try to assert that they're U.S. citizens, they will show their husbands the same deference and respect in public that the other cultures', women, uh, other cultures wives show their husbands. They get back home, it's, the same, it's just like it is in America. But the point is, you don't want to offend those moral sensibilities. And for, for Herod to come into Judea, and to flaunt God's law like this, people are really upset. They don't like him. They don't like this. They know it's a violation of God's law. Herod knows it's a violation of God's law, but like a lot of other people, it doesn't matter to him what God has to say. But John the Baptist is having none of that. John the Baptist is going to speak truth to power. And back in those days, if you spoke truth to power, you weren't around very long, okay? Okay? So I can see John, the bug eater, the one that wore the animal skins, the one that everybody talked about. He's the cousin of Jesus. He's had a miraculous birth himself because his parents are way past the age of childbirth. We've talked about him a lot at Christmas time. But I can see John, who's probably pretty skinny because of his diet, okay? You don't eat bugs and get fat. He's probably pretty skinny, and he points that bony finger in the face of Herod and says, "Thou art the man; you have broken God's law," and he calls him out. Well, this really makes Mrs. Herod very bad, so mad, so let's and bad as well. So let's pick up the story. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. How many of you have ever heard the thing? There's nothing like a woman's scorn. Okay. She wanted to kill him, but without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and a holy man, he protected him. Now stop for just a moment. Herod is a wicked man, but there's still something of the image of God. There's still something of that imagio Deo that we talk about here at Woodland. There's still something about his soul that is tender, and he recognizes goodness and he recognizes holiness, and he wants to protect John. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. <laughs> Wait a minute, he's a wicked man, and this guy that he invites to come up and preach to him from time to he brings him up out of his jail, says jail cell, and he says, "You know, John, what has God been saying to you?" And John points his finger in his face and says, "You're still the man." This is wrong. This is sin. I mean, it's not every day that I get invited to go tell people what their sins are. Okay, it's not every day you get invited to go tell people what their sins are. But Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he taught with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. Well, Herodias' chance. Circle that in your scripture there. Herodias' chance. That's an important phrase. I think in the NIV or maybe the King James Version, it says at an opportune moment, Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Now, I've got to understand, a party. These people are drinking. These people are This is not a church party, you know. This is an ungodly gathering right here. He's got high Roman government officials. He's got his army officers and the leading citizens of Galilee that have compromised with the Romans. That's why they're invited. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance. Now, this is his stepdaughter, okay. This is Herodias' daughter. She came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. The insinuation is... This was a very sensuous dance. This was a very lustful dance. Have you've ever seen any of the paintings of Siloam and her dance, then you've seen how artists have tried to communicate this. The greatly pleased Herod and his guests. All right, get the picture. They're two sheets to the wind. She's done a sensuous dance. All these men are panting with lust. That's basically what you're reading right here. And he goes... Ask me for anything you like, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half of my kingdom. Well, this girl, who would have been probably a teenage girl, maybe 17, 18 years old, she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. And so the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now, on a tray. In other words, I mean, this is gruesome. I mean, you've got to get this in your mind. Her mother doesn't ask for a tray. If you see pictures of somebody holding John the bat, I've seen these paintings, they're holding John the Baptist. When they bought it to him, it was on a silver platter. That's what, what happened here. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. Now stop one more time. She could have asked for anything. She could have asked for a new chariot. She could have asked for her own home. But she was so under the influence of a bitter mother, of an angry mother, of a proud mother, that the mother, rather than taking an opportunity to shape this girl's future, the mother, rather than taking the opportunity to help her choose wisely, the mother uses her daughter to get her vengeance. I'm telling you, that is Bottom palm sucking low right there. I mean, you're looking at a woman so consumed with hate that this is what she does. And Herod, because he his vows he had made, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. And the soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. I want you to get that image in your mind. That it, This is... This is beyond gruesome right here. And when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and they buried it in a tomb. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. And this is the first question on your outline. What doubt does to us? What does doubt really do to us? We all wrestle with doubts. We all struggle with doubts. We all have doubts in our life. The Bible says in Mark 6:20. And that word Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. But when Herod heard him, he was greatly puzzled. Circle the word puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. This word is, if if I remember my Greek correctly, is a Poma. The word Poma means to be able to, to, to make a decision. Apoma means not to be able to make a decision. And he's puzzled, he's in a dilemma. He's teetering right here. He's he hears John, and he feels the pull of faith. Look at me. Don't miss this. He feels conviction. That's what you're, what you're reading when you, he likes to listen to John. He feels conviction, but it's causing him spiritual vertigo have you ever Have you ever gotten on the you know the moving sidewalks to the airport? Have you ever noticed when people are walking and suddenly they, they stop and they get slow and they step on and they will grab the sides or maybe when they 're getting off they 'll say, "Please watch your step and they 'll cause it 's moving so fast and they stop or i don 't know if you 've ever gotten on a treadmill you know I, when I was running, I hated the the, the waiting for the treadmill to get up to speed so I'd set it at the speed I wanted to run on and then I'd get on it and I'd have to hold the handles to stay up on it because it would give you, you'd lose your balance. Well that's where Herod is at. He's kind of losing his balance right here. He feels a pull towards God. He feels a pull towards holiness but he is consumed with power. He's consumed what others think about him and so he's struggling with doubts. And there are times I have phone calls, I won't say every week, but I'd say almost every week somebody will call me or ask to talk to me. They're struggling with doubt. It may be about healing. It may be about life or death. It may be about marriage, career choices. It could be confidence, just any number of things. And there's a very famous psalm, Psalm 73, where David is confessing all of the doubts that he struggles with. I remember one time when I was going through, when we were pastoring in Macon and the church had been, the church that we went to pastor had already split five times and was in terrible shape and um, I'm trying to stifle a sneeze. <laughs> and so it was so hard that one time I, I almost lost my footing because I was just like, God have I missed you? Have Becky and I missed you? One of my, one of my favorite people in all the world came to see me and says, if you haven't heard from God, this is the stupidest thing you've ever done. And that's not the kind of uplift you're looking for, you know. But I remember I just really, Becky and I both were just really seeking God. And I was aggravated because things weren't happening the way I wanted to see them happen. Later it did. But at that point, things weren't happening. And I remember just wanting to vent to somebody about what was going on and I read Psalm 73, and I read Psalm 73, this verse hit me like a Mack truck. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. You see, sometimes we all struggle with doubts that we're confronted with. And so when I am afflicted by doubts, what doubt does, if I can use this illustration, it can cause me to lose my balance. It can cause me to to, to have a spiritual vertigo. My Apple Watch will tell me at the end of the day if my walking has been steady or if, if I haven't had good balance that day. I think it's a good feature to have on the watch. And I walk steady, by the way. But it's interesting to me that I think for elderly people that might be something really good to have, especially if they're struggling, you know, to, to alert their family if they're off balance. And I think we have to be honest that if we're not careful, our own doubts can throw us off balance. So what we should do then is what do we do with our doubt? What do we do with our doubt? And three things I'd like to suggest to you. Number one, see your doubt as a window of opportunity. Now for those of you that are listening, I'm speaking to you after having lived for the Lord a very long time. I'm speaking to you after having been a pastor for a very long time. So Some of this, I I could not have said to you when I was in my 20s. I could have said it, but I hadn't lived it, okay? Some of what I'm going to say to you, it comes out of just years of following Jesus. John the Baptist wasn't as old as I am. You know, Jesus wasn't as old as I am. And so I have the opportunity, and it doesn't mean that I'm more spiritual or smarter than you are. It's just I've had the opportunity to live this out. First of all, see your doubt as a window of opportunity, See your doubt as a chance to learn more about God, to learn more about your faith. Doubt is not always a bad thing. The atmosphere that I grew up in, and I, and I say this not, you know, trying to be mean. I say it with a lot of respect, but doubt was considered sin. If you had doubts, that was just considered sin. I, when I was praying for Josiah, my grandson, yesterday, I was You know, Every day he's part of my prayer life. People come up to me. Somebody recently came up to me and says, you know, I've never met Josiah, but because I pray for him every day, I love him. I know that I love him. And and I'm so grateful for those of you that pray for our grandson every single day. But as I was praying yesterday, I says, God, you know, I I believe. There is no doubt in my mind that you're willing and you're able. But there have been times when I have struggled with that. You know, God, are you willing? Are you able? And what Doubt does, then, is it helps us to learn more about who God is. God understands our doubt. And if it was bad, then the New Testament would say it differently. In Jude, the 22nd verse, the Bible says, Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Some translations read, show mercy to those who doubt. And that's really what that word wavering means, is doubt. Look at that verse now. Is that a suggestion? No, that is a command. Show mercy to those whose faith is wavering or who is doubting. The second thing to do is to take an opportunity to look at the foundations of your life. What are you building your life upon? Herod was building his life upon power. He wanted people to fear him. He wanted power over people. He wanted influence over people. He wanted to be admired. He wanted to be respected and he wanted wealth. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 6 and verse 20, Herod feared John. Now that word feared, again, it reminds us there's something that is throwing him off of balance. Because Herod is powerful. Herod is influential. Herod is surrounded by people who admire him and respect him. There were people there, those Roman officials, those Galilean officials, those army officers. In their mind, they were thinking, I want to be Herod when I grow up. I want to be Herod one day. I want that kind of power. I want that kind of influence. I want to be surrounded by people because they were powerful people. So it's kind of be like the cabinet surrounding the president. And so what he's looking at is what is the foundation of his life Because he knows if he listens to what John the Baptist says, he's going to have to give up the rest of this that he's seen as the foundation. So what I'd like you to do if you're struggling with doubt, why are you struggling with that doubt? What is it about your foundation of your life that is causing you to doubt God? Because that's the place where God wants to strengthen and to build your faith up. And by the way, let me just say this too. When when I feel my faith being challenged or my faith being weakened, I don't try to psych myself up. I do three things. Number 1, I surround myself with people of faith. Number 2, I immerse myself in the scriptures. And number three, I pray in the Spirit, building myself up in my most holy faith. That's what the Bible says to do. Look at what George MacDonald, if you're not familiar with that name, he was a big influence on C.S. Lewis's life. George MacDonald wrote in his sermon, The Words of Jesus on Prayer, Everything difficult indicates something more than our theory of life yet embraces. Check some tendency to abandon the straight path, leaving open only the way of head. What he's saying there is when we're doubting, there's something that our theory, our philosophy of life has not taken in. God's will is much bigger than my life. God's will is much bigger than Woodland Church. God's will is much bigger than America. And so when we face something that maybe causes us to doubt, what God is doing is he's expanding our vision, our doubt instead of making us run from God, makes us run to God, should make us run to God and to obey his word rather than be like Herod having this spiritual vertigo. And then thirdly, make up your mind, who are you going to serve? Who are you going to obey? And then move decisively. I love that word decisively. Make up your mind. There's the difference between Herod and his wife. Mark chapter 6 and verse 21. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. This woman had been scheming. This woman had been planning. And when her window of opportunity came along, she had a plan in place. She was ready to move, and she was decisive. Her husband, who everybody thought was powerful, he was having this battle. And he heard what John said. He knew what the truth was. And he wanted to repent, but he knew to repent and to change his life would cost him the pride, the power, the prestige, the influence, all that he had around him. And there are a lot of people tonight, they find themselves deciding, do I want to follow Jesus? And if I follow Jesus, that's going to mean having to give up this or to give up that in my life. What you're giving up is nothing compared to the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Herodias let her pride poison her and made her into a bitter, hateful, and vindictive woman, or vindictive murderer. I believe pride is the most dangerous sin there is. Pride will even lead you to murder and to mass murder. So don't let bitterness build up in your life. Don't let bitterness build up in your life. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter twelve and verse fifteen. Look after each other, so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Circle that phrase. Watch out. Watch out. Be aware of bitterness. So, what do we do? How do we make up our minds and move forward decisively? Number one, pray for wisdom. There are no fill-ins in here because I wanted to go through this quickly. Pray for wisdom. Pray for courage. Be Christ-like. Learn to witness with strength. And when I say witness, I'm not just talking about words. Let your life be a witness. Be strong in your faith. And when you doubt, don't let your doubt upset you. Don't let your feet... David said I'm, I'm shaking. It's like stepping off that runway at the, at the airport, that moving sidewalk or, or, or treadmill. Instead, David said, I went into the temple, and then I understood. Get, and when he said getting to the temple, he meant about being in the presence of God. Get into the presence of God, pray for wisdom, pray for courage, witness for strength, and then move mountains by faith and always overcome in love. And then finally tonight, looking at this powerful story, how do I get the power to deal with my doubt? How do I get the power to deal with my doubt? Well, I've already told you, surround yourself with faithful people, surround yourself or immerse yourself in the scripture, pray in the spirit, but in Romans chapter 18, understand this, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. We've looked at Herod, we've looked at Herodias, we've looked at Herodias' daughter. Let's look at John the Baptist for just a few minutes. John the Baptist will not get to see the fruition of Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist will not get to finish what he hoped that he would get to see. And I think when you see the story of John the Baptist and the Chosen, I think they do such an excellent job with that. But now John the Baptist is in prison. He knows he's going to be executed. And yet, John the Baptist is the perfect example of somebody suffering and saying, this is nothing compared to what I'm going to inherit in heaven. This is nothing. Today somebody asked me, said, so Pastor, when you make your morning confession in the morning that you talk about sometimes, what is that confession? And so I shared with them that confession. They go, oh, I like that. Can I use it? I said, of course you can use it. It's all scripture, you know. But I apply it to my life. And, and, and I'll share that with you later if you want to know. But I wonder, what did John the Baptist think? sitting in a prison cell. And a prison cell, in those days, we believe this prison cell was in the northeastern part of of Israel. A prison cell would have been a dank, dark, nasty, smelly place. And people that went there under Herod's rule didn't typically leave alive, and John didn't either. So what did Herod think? I mean, what did John the Baptist think? We know he suffered with doubt So please forgive me because I know for a lot of people he's a hero. But do you remember the message he sent to his cousin Jesus? He says, are you really the one? Are you really the one? And Jesus said, go back and tell John that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the good news is preached. And that satisfied John. What happened? John was teetering in prison. Who can blame him? the foundation of his life, maybe what he envisioned that his ministry was going to be. I don't think any little boy grows up wanting to be a bug eater and wearing camel cloths. I don't think any little boy wants to do that. I don't think any little boy wants to see his parents die. We believe John the Baptist's parents died quite early. Remember, they were quite old. We believe that they died quite early while he was still a young boy and that the Essenes took him in. And he lived in in, in a very barren part of Israel, in a very ascetic group of people. No little boy grows up wanting to be that way, but that's how God prepared him to be the forerunner. So ask yourself tonight, what's my greatest fear? What am I more afraid of than anything else? And might I suggest that you prayerfully sit down with this, think it through, pray it through, put it down on paper, and then give it to God. Just a few minutes ago, I was talking with someone in my study before I came out here. And I said, the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. Don't react, respond according to your fear. React to what God says about your fear. But you can't deal with it until first you identify it. I think Herod identified his fear. I think Herodias identified her fear. I think Salome identified her fear. She was afraid of her mother. Rather than asking for herself, she gave in to her mother's bitterness. She was afraid of a bitter, vindictive woman. I think John's fear was simply this, that I fail God. And when he heard back from Jesus, that was all he needed. And build your life upon Jesus. Build your identity upon Jesus. Last year, I just, in the evenings, I began reading Kierkegaard again. <clears throat> and this Danish philosopher, theologian sometimes just really speaks to me but when I read these words they just kind of stood out in boxcar-sized letters sin is built and I've got a typo I hope they didn't correct it sin is building your identity on anything but God I love my wife she's sitting right here with me I love my kids I love this church But my identity is not tied up in Becky or in our kids or in our church. My identity is tied up in Christ. That way I can be a good husband, a good father, a good pastor. I can be what I need to be when I build my identity in Christ. There's something about that quality, though, that it changes you. It's not the American dream. Great leaders. I can't imagine Donald Trump saying this. I can't imagine Joe Biden saying this. And they're two great leaders. They've reached the pinnacle of success in America, politically speaking. I can't imagine either one of them saying this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's he doing? He's directing attention away from himself. Every president talks about what my administration has done right and what the previous administration has done wrong. Am I right? Can you imagine Donald Trump or Joe Biden saying this next statement? He must become greater and I must become less and less. No. This is the quality, though, of of John's life. This is what happens when we build our identity upon Jesus. And when we do that, it's not that we're being self-effacing. It's not that we're being falsely humble. And we don't have to worry that somehow or another we're going to be forgotten. We're talking about John the Baptist tonight over 2,000 years later. How he stood up to a king and said, you are wrong. And how Herod faced his doubts and how John faced his doubts. Let me tell you what happened. Just real quickly, I know I'm out of time. John lost his head but he kept his faith. Herod kept his head, but he lost his faith. Because later when he, we, he will meet Jesus in the story, he just mocks Jesus. His heart is totally different. His heart is totally hardened. And after Jesus' resurrection, it won't be but just a few years, about three years after Jesus' resurrection, that Herod is removed from the scene. Because that that he grasped on to keep, that that he was afraid of losing, He lost. You never lose when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? So, Father, we love you tonight. We pray that you will help us in our battles with doubt, not to succumb to them, nor be ashamed of them, Lord, but to understand this, that we are saved not because we do good things, we are saved because you did the right thing, and you forgave us of our sins, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good night.